Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I am Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Hi, everybody. We hope the time you're spending with us today will help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from the world of work and life to give us ideas and, most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. And it's all made possible because of our wonderful sponsors. Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and support with a guide who has walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenge of life and your experiences as you have. Go to lifeguides forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HEALTHY2021 to the free text box and you'll get two months of free service. That's lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo, HEALTHY2021 for two months of free service. A great deal. It really is. And you can put in schedule or schedule. (laughs) Either way, it works, right? Hey, we also want to send out a big thanks to our sponsor, Go Happy Hub, the most inclusive and timely way to communicate and engage directly with your frontline employees and candidates with 95% open rates. With Go Happy Hub, you can send text messages directly from corporate and enable permissions for your frontline leaders to communicate with their teams. They can send notes of gratitude, logistical updates, referral opportunities, LTOs, new hire introductions, learning content, celebrations, and more. So, easily, you get the right message, the right people, with simple segmentation. That's Go Happy Hub. Go Happy Hub. And right now, Go Happy Hub is offering two months free if you just simply mention Adrian or Chester. How great is that? <laughs> uh, is it on schedule or on schedule? That's all I want to know, Adrian. Either way. Yeah. Either way. Well, listen, uh, our guests today are really are phenomenal people. They become dear friends of ours. It's Peter Bregman and Howie Jacobson. Peter was recognized as the world's number one executive coach and coaches C-level executives in organizations such as CBS, Mars, City, United Media, and many others. That's Mars in the candy bar, by the way, not as in the planet. Peter is an award-winning, best-selling author and contributor of 18 books, including Leading with Emotional Courage. And his dear friend and co-author for his new book, Howie Jacobson, is a PhD, is an executive coach to clients ranging from startup founders to established and rising Fortune 100 leaders. He is director of coaching at Bregman Partners and head coach at the Healthy Minds Initiative. He is the author of AdWords for Dummies. And together with Peter, Howie, uh, sorry, together with Peter, he and Howie are the authors of You Can Change Other People, the four steps to help your colleagues, employees, even family up their game. And it was published in September of this year. We're delighted to have you as part of the podcast. Welcome, Peter and Howie. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Well, I'll start with Howie. Let's pick on you first, Howie, because uh, we're delighted to have you both on the podcast. Now, your new book, which is really terrific, You Can Change Other People. Uh, Love the title, love the concept here. And you talk in this new book about the way we try to change people creates more resistance to change. Um, And you, you say, Howie, that it's not that people naturally resist change. It's that they resist being changed. So talk about that. Talk about the the four steps you found to real lasting change. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. The, the idea that we resist being changed is obvious to us when we think about it and how we respond with other people try to change us in heavy handed ways when they criticize us, when they 
shame us when they criticize us and we feel shame even though they're not trying to shame us, when they try to motivate us, when they offer unsolicited advice. Like none of us really likes that. And we can feel our own defenses rising, even if they're saying something that we know we should do. And even if they're saying something that we were thinking ourselves. Right. So we so we know for ourselves that we don't like being changed in that way. But if, but like I said, we, we like to grow. We like to change. We like to improve. Not, all of us want to do things to behave in ways that are more consonant with our best interests and our values. So what Peter and I really tried to, to articulate in this book is so how can we support people as they go about making the changes that they want to make or in some cases aren't yet aware that they want to make but need to make? And so the, f the first thing we had to do was come up with a process that would actually allow people to replace their you know, hour <laughs> impulses that don't work with a, a simple set of steps that you can follow that, that reliably do work. So just real quick, Howie. So we know that shaming people doesn't work, and yet we do it, and we do it all the time. So so why? Why do we do it, even though we know it's not going to work? Is it because it just makes us feel better and superior? Mm. Walk me through that. Oh, you sure you don't want Peter to take this one? Yeah, Peter. Yeah, you, you've shamed your, your share of people. You've yeah, shamed me on occasion. Yeah. Peter is the expert in shaming. Let's ask him. <laughs> um, or maybe I've just been shamed enough. Um yeah, I, you know, you bring up a great point, and I don't think we ever mean to shame people. Like, I mean, sometimes maybe people mean to shame people, but I don't, I don't think so. I, and I think that um, sh shame is also something that's actually very particular to, to someone. Like something that you might be ashamed of, I wouldn't be ashamed of. Um, but I, I think the, prob the reason we end up being messy with how we treat people and 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 which leads a lot to their shame is because we lack some degree of empathy around it. We're saying like here's someone I have feedback for them. So I'm going to give them feedback. And you know, I I know I'm going to be, you know, radically honest about it because transparency is great. So I'm just going to tell them exactly the way I see it. And and they, you know, when we do that, we almost feel like we're being helpful in that way, or we almost feel like, you know, we're being righteous, but we're not necessarily empathizing. We're not in that moment going into the head of the other person and saying, what would it feel like to this person to hear what I'm saying? Would it be hurtful? Would it, would they go into, sh would they be embarrassed about it? Would they like, what would it, what would it feel like? And I think when we're the one kind of dishing it out, in a sense, it's it's easier to do it than it is to to receive it in, in a sense. So I think I think there's I think, you know, what we end up doing is we skip that step that says, how how will this feel to the other person? And when you think about, you know, the things we do that end up shaming people. Uh, for the most part, they don't come from a bad place. When you're giving someone direct feedback, it's coming out of a good place. It's coming out of a place of wanting to help them, of wanting to support them. The problem is that a lot of the research, the data shows that that doesn't actually help. And what Howie and I are hoping to do with this book is to give people a process 
that allows them to support each other's performance specifically without driving them into shame because shame blocks change. So we're trying to do it in a way that's helpful as an ally as opposed to a critic. Okay, so give us the process. Give us the four steps. How do we begin? So, you know, why don't I take the first couple and then I'll shoot the, the next couple to Howie. Um, the, the first is, <coughs> excuse me, to do that thing that I just mentioned, which is shifting from critic to ally. So think for a second, like I want someone to change. I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. I'm hopeful. But where does that come from? It comes from a place of care, of love, of fear, of like there's something I want in the world for that other person or for us that's not currently happening. And so I want something to change around that. And, 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 it, and the, so the first step is to check ourselves and find the positive intent for me to find the positive intent in myself. And then to imagine that everybody who acts, acts out of a place of reason from their perspective. So to connect with what might be the positive intent of the other person to why they're acting. So that's just the inner work that I'm going to do in, in the first step to say, you know, I, I, I want what's best for this person. I don't want to attack them. I don't want to shame them. I want what's best. I want to be an ally. And I get that they're acting in ways that probably make sense to them. And I can imagine what some of those ways might be. Now I'm ready to engage. And, that, and, and the, the third part of that first step, right, after I've checked my own intent and, and kind of come to peace with theirs, is to ask permission. And we have a formula for that, which is empathize, confidence, and, and request permission. So, hey, I see that you you're, um, seem to be struggling in this meeting, and I'm, I could see how frustrating that is, and it's, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, you're, it kind of feels like you're hitting against a brick wall, and I've seen you really, really effective in those meetings. Do you, uh, can I, can, do, do you want to think about it together? Can we talk about it? Would it be helpful if we talked about it? And, and that, and the end, you know, you know, you've completed that first step when they say, yeah, I, I'll talk about it with you. Sure. Um, thanks for noticing. I'll talk about it with you. And then the second step is to say, to move away from the problem and focus on an energizing outcome. So, you know, ask them, so what's the outcome you want? Well, I don't want to feel like I'm hitting against a brick wall. Okay. So, so that's, that's like the absence of the problem. Right. But if you set your sights higher, so what would that give you for the sake of what? For the sake of peace or for the sake of impact or for the sake of what? And they might say, well, you know, what I really want is to feel like I'm helping the team be a high performing team. Right. That I'm participating. I'm contributing to a high performing team. Great. That's an exciting outcome if you could participate in creating. So now I've established us as allies and I've helped you set up a dynamic where you're excited about an outcome that you can achieve, right? So now you're positive about it instead of frustratingly, you know, agonizing about the thing that's not working. Then step three is to find, <laughs> I, picked, I, I picked up that baton, huh? Is to, to find a, a hidden opportunity in the problem. And I, f I find that when, when, when someone comes up with an outcome that really energizes them and you can see it or hear it in their voice, in their, in their facial expression that, oh, like this is what I want. Right now, now all of a sudden they're in a place of creativity as opposed to fear. They're now, you know, searching for something instead of trying to get away from something. Now we return to 
the problem and just ask, like, what's going on? Tell me more about it. So they're, they're not in their head about it. They're not just telling a story, but we're asking for some specifics. When did this happen? What, you know, if you're there, like, what were you thinking at that point or what were you feeling? And we kind of can get a, um, a zoomed in detailed picture of what's going on in the moments when people are behaving in certain ways rather than other more preferable ways. And then we can t- we talk about, so what have you tried? Right. So the people can then say so we don't, you know, bore them with like, oh, well, you could try this. You could try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tried that. Tried that. Tried that. Right. We want to get kind of the whole catalog of what they've tried, uh, partly because some of the things they've tried have worked in the past. <laughs> right. And they oh, yeah, I used to do that. Or, you know, th- they realize I've been doing this and it just hasn't been working. And so I'm, maybe I should stop doing that. And at that point, we then look back at the problem, hold it in one hand, hold the energizing outcome in the other hand, and we look for a way in which we're glad that this problem exists because it's going to help us get to the energizing outcome. There's an opportunity there. So if the person in the meeting is being stymied, you know, because they constantly bring up, let's say, um, like, you know, I think you're wrong about this or you're not doing the research right here or you're misinterpreting this. And they're they're kind of right. The way that this person is behaving is sort of blocking everybody else and making them feel unheard or making them feel unvalued and like they don't want to offer ideas. Then we say the, the opportunity there is, well, there what I want is for us to have great ideas. My goal here in shutting people down is I only want the best ideas. So now how can I behave in that meeting in a way that gets the best ideas out there. Now, every time I think the thought, that's not going to work, I then get to try something else and say, tell me what you're seeing here. Tell me where you're coming from. Help me understand your point of view because mine's different, right? So now it can become a celebration of difference that leads to better ideas rather than a conflict. A lot, a lot of listening, a lot of questioning, a lot of feedback, you know, in the process in there. Yeah. yeah I mean, you mean the four step process? Yeah. 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 You know, I want to I'm, I'm listening to us uh, talking and 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 I and I want to bring us to I want to kind of connect this with the anxiety uh, both at work and at home that so many people feel and the sort of m- mental stress that that goes on and it's like what all of this comes down to is we feel like when we're in that place of anxiety almost always we feel alone we feel like we're going at it and we don't have partners in it and we're sort of isolated and especially with this pandemic and we're just staring at screens all the time and we feel alone and and the the sort of meta conversation the question is what do we do so that we show up in support and love and care of each other and, and that we invite other people to do the same with us so that we are not, you know, swimming in this big ocean all by ourselves? And, and it's like, how do we have conversations about things that can get us looking positively at opportunities in the future. So, so like, you know, there's, we're, we're, we're giving you a lot of information around this, but really it's very simple when you say, I want to connect with you. I want to 
think together about the outcome that you want that would make you happy, that would give you some peace and at ease and help you get to where you want to go. And then I want to think together about where are the opportunities that exist in, in, in you know, the, the mix of everything you're experiencing that might be worth trying some things that can help us get to the outcome. And remember, we're holding hands throughout this process. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about anxiety is, is, is a product of a lot of things that are that's outside our control. You know, the pandemic put a lot of things outside our control. You know, we couldn't go to work. We couldn't go to ball games. We couldn't go to Broadway and so on. Uh, in your blogs, you've talked a lot about letting go of control. You know, how can we how can we get better at accepting the things we can't change? And, and how does that help us reduce our anxiety and increase mental health? I'll throw that out to you, Howie. Yeah, well, that's a beautiful, a beautiful question. So one of the principles of our, the four steps is that you don't have control. So we're not asking people to give up control. We're asking people to recognize that their, their, their belief that they have control is an illusion, right? Because if you could control other people, you wouldn't need this book. You wouldn't need to talk to them, right? You, you would just push a button and things would get done. But uh, we're, we're autonomous. And so recognizing other people's autonomy and recognizing that we also want autonomy um, can, I think, can help us let go of control uh, a little bit. But also, like what this process calls for, like Chester, you mentioned, like there's a lot of talking back and forth and really listening. I think what we're really asking for people is and this, you know, Peter wrote a beautiful book about this called Four Seconds, which is like in the moment, there's, al there's always a choice, but only when you bring awareness to the moment. So I think in some ways, the opposite of anxiety is presence, right? When I'm here with myself and with you and with the situation right now. So if we want the people we want to help to be present, to be able to be aware in the moment so they can make other choices, we model that in this process. So we want we have to, you know, don't do this with someone if you're like multitasking and doing Sudoku on the side or scrolling Instagram over the phone like this calls for our presence to be a role model and an invitation for the other person to meet us here and to begin to practice that kind of mindful attention to the here and now, which I think is, is in large part an antidote to the, to the anxiety that comes from you know, rumination about the past and worry about the future. When we uh, talked a while back, Howie gave a great example. I, I put you on the spot last time. So I'm going to put Peter on the spot this time. And I want you to take us through a situation, how you might handle this. Because it's, it's interesting, as, as we're now out traveling, it used to be people would ask you about your your work, your family, your this, that, and the other. Now everybody asks about, so have you been vaccinated? <laughs> and they all, and what vaccine did you get? And it's, it's and, and every CEO we're working with is wondering, do we put mandates in place or not? So, uh, so Peter, I'm going to pick on you. This is a tough issue. So let's say you, you have, you're vaccinated, but you've got family members who are not. Um, how, how do you change somebody who doesn't want to be changed in this? Or, or can you give us, walk us through that? You know, uh, it's a it is a great question. It's a hard question. You can't um, you can't force. I mean, I guess you can technically institutionally you can force people to do things, um, but then they could also leave. Uh, so so, you know, with a situation like vaccines, you, you, you kind of follow the same process, right? Which is, first of all, they really may not want to talk about it with you. And if they don't want to talk about it with you, then they're not going to talk about it with you. 
it, this is a case where it's a little different. It's, you know, instead of sort of saying, hey, I notice you're not vaccinated. I know you can get vaccinated. I believe in you. You want can I, you want to think this through together? You know, I, I think they're going to say no. Right. So you you can come in with some more vulnerability and say, you know, I um, I, I know you've made a choice to not be vaccinated. And I'd, I'd love to engage in a conversation with you about it. Uh, both, you know, like primarily I, I want to listen and understand more, right? Like I want to I want to engage with you in this conversation. Would you be willing to talk about it with me? Right. So so you're you know, you're you're approaching it with some humility and and you're um, you're expressing that you want to talk about it for your need. And would they be willing? They can always say no, no matter what in our process. If you ask permission for something and someone says no, the answer is no, they're not going to have a real conversation with you. Uh, or what I what I know someone did is they're going to say, yeah, 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 I decided I'm going to get vaccinated. I'm going to get vaccinated. I'm going to make an appointment with absolutely no intention of doing it, but knowing that that's how to get out of the conversation very quickly. So, you know, that's not very useful either. It's called passive aggressive. It's not passive aggressive. It's like it's actually probably smart as a way of getting out of the conversation. But so so the first thing is to to be vulnerable and to say, hey, and then the second is to to listen and focus on again, like what's the outcome? Like I know that the outcome is health. They don't want to get COVID, and and there's things they're afraid of, and there's things they're unsure about, and they're you know they're not they're not just not getting vaccinated because they're macho about it. There's like it's actually the opposite. People don't get vaccinated in most cases because, at least in my experience, is because they're afraid of you know what they've heard, what they've read, what it might do to their body. So again, remembering what I said, like let's like even in these moments where we fundamentally disagree with the decision that someone's making, can we still stand in allyship? Can we still connect with them, you know, not as an aggressive critic, but as someone that says, I get that. I get that you're scared. I'm scared, too. You know, like we're both scared of our bodies being hurt. We're both scared of like something of dying or of getting long haul COVID. I mean, I'm vaccinated and I'm afraid of getting long haul COVID if I get a breakthrough case. Like it's not hard to empathize with that. It's just that usually when we engage in that conversation, we kill every last little bit of our empathy in order to go in for the tack, in order to get them to do what we want them to do, right? We approach it as a critic and not an ally. So even in the situation where we fundamentally disagree with the choice they're making, the most powerful move that, by the way, also has a the the most likelihood of maintaining and building and enhancing the relationship and b actually the greatest likelihood of creating change is to approach as an ally, is to empathize. So I would really say that. And then look at the outcome. Like, what is the outcome that you want? And, you know, the, they might say, the outcome I want is to people stop talking to me about being vaccinated. But then, you know, you laugh and you go, okay, and, and you know, what what is that outcome? And the outcome, you know, is like, I don't want to be sick. I don't want to put something in my body that's, you know, I don't want some, I'll say it in exactly the same terms I would say it. I don't want something entering my body that can make me really sick. Well, I think that's something that people who get vaccinated and people who don't get vaccinated would agree 100 percent on. Right. So like we're on the same page. And so then the question is, you know, then at that point when we're not fighting, we're not antagonistic to each other. Right. Where we're we're exhaling a little bit together. 
then we can say, okay, let's look at, let's look at that. Like, I kind of want to see the stuff that you're reading and let me show you the stuff that I'm reading and let's have a conversation about that and, and see if it, if it, you know, if, if it's, if it makes sense to not get vaccinated. And, and then I'll just flip this over to say in a situation where you are the CEO and you're making a decision. And I, I actually, I'm a ski instructor on the side and the CEO of the mountain, the general manager of the mountain just said, all employees will be vaccinated. Like if you're not gonna be vaccinated, you can't be an employee. Uh, like that's, you know, we're happy to talk with you about it, but that's a decision that we're making. And, and, I, um, and I, felt, I felt relief, you know, for me, I felt relief about that because, uh, you know, I was concerned about a bunch of things. Well, the CEOs, people who run companies, people who run offices have every right to create the boundaries that they're going to create, right? I would just say do it in a way that recognizes that your decisions, you know, may be hard for people. And rather than bowl through it, lean on empathy. Yeah, you know, it, it is really interesting. I love your take on the, what do you want the outcome to be? You know, Adrian and I grew up in Canada. We're big hockey fans. And in my hockey team, the, the number one goalie, um, was one of the very few players in the entire NHL not vaccinated. And it wasn't because he didn't want to be healthy. He was terrified of needles. Like he'd literally gotten in the chair four or five times and just couldn't do it. What happened was, is he can't get into Canada without being fully vaccinated. And he can't play for the Canadian National Olympic team if he's not vaccinated. So he finally got the first shot. So I, I really like the idea is what is the outcome? Like, do you want to play in the Olympics? Great. If you want to play in the Olympics, you have to get vaccinated. Well, you know, you you guys both talk to lots of CEOs, and we're just really curious about uh, what are you seeing with the overall mental health and anxiety with leaders that you're you're working with, and how are leaders working with those in their care to get through the anxiety and challenges? Not just vaccination, but coming back to work and where the company's going and how the world has changed. Howie, what what are you seeing? Is are there any trends and how are they dealing with it in ways that maybe the rest of us can? I'm going to punt to Peter on this one because I think he's got more to say. <laughs> wait a minute! Um, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Peter's got more to say. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said about this, about this, I'll. St oh, okay. I, I reserve the right to steal back later. <laughs> Peter, go. I mean, first, I want to say I love that you're asking the question because because so many, you know, it's it's so easy to ask the question of. Um, what, you know, how should CEOs handle this and what, you know, and, and there's so much energy coming at CEOs. And, and sometimes I feel, and maybe this is because I coach CEOs, like I feel compassion for my CEOs. Like who's looking out for them? Like they, they have a tremendous amount of anxiety. And if they also don't manage it effectively, then it comes out with a major impact on the organization. So, you know, I've seen CEOs say, you know, someone says in a town hall, hey, we don't want to come back to work. We're more productive uh, at home. And and there's lots of ways to answer that. But the way not to answer that is fine. I don't care. You got to come back to work <laughs> like we've made a decision. You're going to come back to work. If you don't like it. Go work somewhere else. Right. Not the right way to approach it. 
But that doesn't come out of a place of a mean CEO. It comes out of a place of a stressed CEO, someone who's trying to hold together a culture in an organization and finding it very, very difficult to do when everyone's working out of closets and bedrooms. And, and, it's, and so, so, yeah, like, with, of course, they have great privilege and that comes great responsibility and et cetera. But, but to really say, like, how do we support uh, CEOs. And, and I would say, you know, at least what I've been seeing, and it's, I, and I guess I'm biased because this is my coaching, this is the work that I do, which is I, I want to be someone who can hear and, and be a safe place for them to be able to vent and express frustrations and anxieties and things like that and talk about it, which is like, you know, you want to deal with anxiety at work, find the right people to talk to about it, right? That's really, really critical. Like, don't repress it. Don't hold it in. Beat on a pillow. That could be useful. But also, like, express yourself to someone for whom it's safe. The problem is with a CEO, it's often not very safe to express that frustration to anybody internally, not to the board, not to their, you know, not to their team. It's just it, it, you can a little bit, but there's ripples of impact. So like I, I at least want to be a place where where they can express that. And then I also want to give them some skills because I think like, how do you deal with anxiety? You engage fully with the emotion. You feel everything fully. Like you feel it. You don't repress it. If you repress it, it leaks out in insidious ways. So you feel everything and you ground yourself. And then from that place of not shame, not recognizing that anything's going wrong, but that you're feeling anything that any normal human being would feel, especially under the pressure of leading in an organization during an incredibly ambiguous, uncertain time. And then once you're able to release some of that energy, then from that place, what are the most skilled ways to engage in a conversation with people about, you know, how we're moving forward and balancing their needs and your needs and, and what your needs are. And so it comes with a lot of empathy. A lot of times people confuse the fact that if they empathize, they think it restricts their decision making. If I really listen to you and what you need, then and you really don't want to come back to the office and I really listen to you, then I will no longer be able to make the decision to tell you you have to come back to the office. And it's the exact opposite. Empathy gives you permission to make decisions. That as a leader, if you empathize with what other people are experiencing, it does not restrict your ability to make decisions that might be counter to what they want. It allows you to make decisions that might be counter to what they want. So don't lose the empathy piece. It gives you freedom and it also takes care of the people around you. I think it's awesome. I mean, you're right. Everything right now is beginning with empathy. I mean, if you'd asked us a few years ago, what are the best leadership characteristics? We would have talked about vision and strategy, communication. Today, it begins with one word. It's empathy, right? Hey, how can people learn more about your work, Peter and Howie? Well, um, the the best place probably is to, uh, I'm going to let Howie answer yeah. this one. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you, on video, my, my hand's up like uh, Horshack and welcome back, Cotter. I know this one. <laughs> so for those of you who are yeah under 70, uh, that was a TV show. <laughs> so so um, the BregmanPartners.com website. If you go there, you can just click on books or I think it's on, on the homepage. There's a description of the book and we have 
lots of resources there. We, there's a quiz you can take or a self-assessment on like how you know what your change style is and what the cost of it might be. Uh, whether whether you could or you know could benefit from the book. Um, there's also uh, on the back end if you a lot of material on BregmanPartners.com. For, for readers, so there's we have um, we took out forty thousand words from the manuscript like in the last two weeks, and some of them were good words. And so we, the, the, we put there's like nine uh, sample dialogues actually showing exactly how to use the four steps on the website. So that's where I'd go. But you can also get the book at your local independent bookshop, the one the one that smells of cats mm -hmm. and uh, is still there. Hopefully, <laughs> you can also of course get it on uh, online. You know, any, anywhere um, books are sold. And again, the book is You Can Change Other People. It's, it's a great book. It's an amazing concept. We are about out of time, I noticed, but we have one last question. Chess, do you want to fire off one last question to the guys? Yeah, you know, um, I want you to talk a little bit about self-compassion. I know you guys have written a lot about that. And, you know, you often hear in conversations, you know, the leader has to put on their oxygen mask first. But um, talk about how that can help us through difficult times. How uh, self-compassion being an important concept. Yeah, to me, it's um, it's a daily nutrient that I have to give myself all the time because I find myself being highly self-critical. And I think this is true of a lot of driven people, a lot of people who have had high standards throughout their lives. One of the strategies we use is to be hard on ourselves. Right? And so, you know, to the extent that it works, OK, that's great. But in these days and more and more like people who are used to success, I think we it's a fuel we don't need to to um, maintain our, our trajectory. So for me, self-compassion is just sort of noticing that moment, usually trying to beat myself up for not being self-compassionate, then beating myself <laughs> up for beating myself up for not being self-compassionate. And somewhere in there, a molecule of sanity drifts into my brain and I go, oh, look at you, you, you wonderful human. Look what you're doing. Isn't that cute? And then it, it kind of the whole thing becomes a house of cards and falls apart and I can go on with my day. I'm so happy you asked Howie that question because I'm terrible at self-compassion. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm so bad at it. I wish I was good at it. That's uh, because you're a skier. Hey, uh, Adrian, <laughs> have, have you got one last question before we wrap up? Uh, let's wrap up. Let's ask you a little thing we'd like to ask people, since this is the Anxiety Podcast, is what are your rituals of self-care? that you? Because you're both really successful, I mean, amazing uh, backgrounds. What do you do each day to, to maintain your mental health? Um, I, you know, I, I have, uh, first of all, I exercise every day. It's not even like something I have to remind myself to do because if I don't do it, it's, it, I, it's almost a little bit addictive, but I, I, I exercise every day. I meditate at least once, if not twice a day. I, you know, I try to do all of the, the Maslow's hierarchy, all of the physical stuff. I, I really find that if I'm not taking care of myself physically, then everything else, you know, falls off from there. So, you know, that's that's the first thing. And then I try to do something like this every day, like either on a podcast or not, like talk to awesome people and be with awesome people because it just, you know, it just sort of grounds me and makes me feel uh, uh, really good. So th that's that's just a couple of rituals that I sort of consciously make sure I'm doing every day. <laughs> 
Awesome. Yeah, well, so I, I also do the, you know, meditate, exercise, eat right, breathe. But I'll say the one the one thing that I do that has made the biggest difference to me is that I pour a bucket of ice water over my head every morning and I do it for for a physiological and a psychological reason. The psychological reason is I hate cold water and I'm terrified and I try to talk myself out of it every single day. And so it's really helped me build the muscle of being willing to do things that make me uncomfortable. And the physical reason is it's actually it's quite a physical stressor. So, you know, it's, it gets my heart rate up. I, I'm going to fight or flight physically and then I breathe myself out of it. And it's really increased my capacity to handle to be a container for stress. So when I was a small container for stress, one ounce could like tip top the shot glass. Now I'm more like a, a Munich beer stein and the same one ounce just sort of sloshes <laughs> at the bottom and I can handle it. You know, I, I seriously thought you were kidding when you said that. <laughs> you know, Adrian and I have, uh, you know, we asked this question to a lot of people. They say, hey, I'm going to do that. Hey, I'm going to do that. Howie, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. Well, I think actually one of the things that that shows is the thing that removes anxiety for some people is the thing that creates, just hearing it creates anxiety. <laughs> Chester, I, 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 yeah, yeah, but I love that I, you I understand your reticence. <laughs> I love that you're doing. Sorry, I, I understand your reticence. I know you've done tougher things than this. Would you like to think this? through with me? Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I did that uh, ice bucket challenge thing. And, and seriously, I thought, I'm never doing that again. I could check that box, you know. Anyway, I love, though, that you're doing a hard thing every day. Yeah. And that, that pushes us out of our uh, comfort zone sometimes. Yeah. So good for you. Hey, listen, guys, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, we're with the authors in case you uh, kind of were doing something and forgot, but they are the authors of You Can Change Other People. Available at fine bookstores everywhere. Um, your website again is Peter Bregman Partners, right? Or Bregman Actually, Partners? Actually, it's just Bregman Partners. B R E G M A N Partners. P A R T N E R S dot com. Dot com. And, partner, uh, yeah, and just wonderful coaches and leaders and and great friends. We're just delighted to have you on the show. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys, so much. It's been super fun. Adrian, just more fun than humans should be allowed. Those guys are great, aren't they? Well, they are, and wise, too. Love this idea. You know, starting with the idea, well, look, we all have somebody or many people in our lives we want to change, right? So what do we do? We criticize, shame, try to motivate, in quote marks, offer unsolicited advice, and how is it taken? Never well, right? <laughs> It never works, and yet we keep doing it, you know. I do love their four steps, you know, giving you a script, to go in and then the thing about being an ally and I really love the part about so what do you want the outcome to be do, do you want to stay healthy okay well let's let's walk down there how can we stay healthy you know uh, with the goalie do you want to play in the Olympics okay well let's <laughs> figure that out if you want to play with the Olympics there's you know this is the path to go and it's and it's, it's more like hey let's go down the path together let's yeah. figure this out together and instead of well, you idiot, if you want to play in the Olympics, you have to get vaccinated. Go, go, go get well, jabbed, you knucklehead. And what this kind of tells me, too, look, this is something that can be extremely anxiety-inducing, is giving and receiving feedback. Um, so and we all want to do it. We all have to do it. And so I think what I'm taking away is this is going to take a lot more time and effort than we really think about it. We just sort of throw in this. Hey, let me tell you how you're messing up. Instead of coming from a place of positive intent, really doing that inner work they talked about, and even asking permission to share, that's, that's really where this all begins is, no, I really don't want you to talk to me about that. Okay, that's where we begin. 
Yeah, you know, it's so funny as we're talking about this and as I'm ruminating on the podcast, I'm thinking, I think one of the reasons that we go the shame route is we're just impatient. Mm. You know, we just are. We're just like, come on, this is so obvious to me. Why is it not obvious to you? When you become an ally and whatnot, you have to be patient. You have to be patient in the process, or as we say, process in Canada. (laughs) One thing he said that I really enjoyed, though, he said the opposite of anxiety is being present. And when you're present, you're not impatient. You're calm and you're listening and you're asking those questions. That was really interesting. The opposite of anxiety is being present. I think one of the other big things from this is this idea of being self-critical, self-compassion. Um, we've talked about this before, too, where we need to be our own best friends, but we're not so often. I mean, if you had a friend who told you, you know, Chess, you'd never, you're never going to do this. You're never going to amount to anything. We wouldn't be friends with him very long. But we are with ourselves <laughs> all the time. So we have to be a better friend to ourselves, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And then that last piece on empathy I thought was really brilliant, that we think that by being empathetic, being an empathetic leader, it limits our choices. He says it actually expands our choices because we've got more understanding, we've got more buy-in. I thought that was a lovely way to end the podcast. Love that. So a big special thanks to all of you who have listened in today, to our producer Brent Klein, to Christy Lawrence who helps us find amazing guests like Peter and Howie. Yeah, and if you like the podcast, you know, please share it with friends and family. Uh, download the uh, podcast is always a great indicator of who's listening. And join our community, WeThriveTogether.Global. We're trying to create a safe place to talk about anxiety and mental health in the workplace. And then, of course, our sponsors, Adrian. First off, we want to thank our sponsor, Go Happy Hub the most inclusive and timely way to communicate and engage directly with your frontline employees and candidates with 95% open rates. Now offering our listeners two months free service. You gotta try this out. What, yeah, just what is the harm in trying out something for two months for free? That's right, and all you gotta do is say, uh, sent by Adrian or Chester. Probably Adrian will get you the two months. I think Chester's really only one month, but you'll have <laughs> Actually, to try. They, yeah, you'd pay more for two months. Yeah, exactly. So, and Life Guides, uh, we've been working with them for a while, spent some good time with them over the past couple of weeks, and love their peer-to-peer community. It, it helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors with, with a guide who's walked in your shoes and and done what you've done. And again, you know, because you're listening to our podcast, all you have to do is go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HEALTHY2021 to get two months of free service there as well. So we really do love our sponsors. They make everything possible, as do you coming to listen in every week. We can't thank you enough. So thank you for joining us today. Hopefully we're helping create a safe place to talk about anxiety and mental health at work. And none of this would happen without you listening in. So thank you so much. Take care and be well.